Open up your Bibles to the book of First Peter, where we are beginning chapter three today. First Peter chapter three, where we look at verses one through six this morning. And without a doubt, today is going to be a challenging passage. Uh, we do not find easy words here, but we find good words. Such is the nature of Scripture. Without a doubt, I think, we can all perceive that we live in a world that is hostile. It's one of the fundamental reasons that is underneath this letter written by Peter, that we live in this hostile world. It's one of the fundamental reasons that I wanted to go to this letter in our times. Our world, just as it was in Peter's time, is hostile. It is opposed to the things of God. And for the time being, these hostilities come rushing at us in the battlefield of ideas in this unseen realm, most pernicious of these dangerous, hostile ideas are things like, in our time, critical theory, gender theory, particularly transgenderism, and various waves of feminism that have been coming at us since the 1960s. From these rise a tyranny of ideas that have infiltrated all sectors of our society, and ironically, all who do not bend their knee to such ideas are devalued, are brushed aside as ignorant. It's the first step towards dehumanization. Presently, these ideas are existential. They are spiritual. But it does not take long for, spiritual, for the spiritual to become physical. And if they do... Dangerous, dehumanizing ideas have a long history of becoming deadly. So at this moment, you might be asking yourself, what's going on? I thought this sermon was about wives. Well, the main point of today's passage strikes at the very heart of this ideological tyranny. The idea that of wives be subject to your own husbands. It's not ultimately going to be weapons that slay this ideological giant, but a kingdom-oriented, gospel-proclaiming, Christ-exalting freedom-saturated submission. Submission. This is the subversive tool against our world. And so as we look at this passage, where there's the apostolic command for wives to be subject to their own husbands, I want to answer these two questions. What is marital submission? And what is the beauty of a woman? Pressing questions for our day. So let's look at this passage that we find again in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Please read along with me. Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure, con pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, 
the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Let's pray. Lord, you know that we are confronted by challenging words this morning. And I pray that you would humble each one of our hearts to receive them. These are not the words of man. These are your words. And your words do challenge us. So I ask that, God, that you would not just challenge us, but transform us as we consider these things, as these words become our reality, our truth, our, our whole life. Help us to live in these and to, to see them as precious. And Lord, I pray that you would use this this fallible man to speak these words without error, but exalting your son. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are times when a passage addresses a very specific people within the church rather than, than everybody generally. And today, obviously, is such a passage. So wives, today the Bible speaks directly to you. It is to you that are, who are being summoned to pay the closest attention to our words, to, to these words. Next week, it will be to you, husbands. Nonetheless, there are lessons here in these verses for every single one of us. For those that will one day become wives, for those that want to support a woman who is a wife, for those that want to understand God and what he created marriage to be, what his purposes in marriage are, we can all learn a great deal from this passage today, even though it speaks directly to, or most specifically to, wives. And at the beginning of this passage, Peter starts this command Wives, be subject to your own husbands. But to understand the power of this command, we need to understand what it is being linked to. There's a likewise that this chapter begins with. And it's meant to remind us of the things that Peter has just written about, the things he has just been speaking about. So likewise is linking our passage with chapter 2, verse 18, most specifically. And so we're going to read them side by side. Our passage with chapter 2, verse 18, and you will see how inextricably they are linked. So 2.18. Servants, be subject to your master with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And then a few verses later, Peter goes on to talk about how these servants are to continue in good works despite their circumstances. Now in our passage... Verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see you respectful and pure conduct. So Peter is in no way saying here 
that wives must look at their husbands as servants look at their masters. That is not what Peter is saying. Those relationships are completely different. But Peter is saying that there are some similarities, similarities that are significant and that we should pay close attention to. Both institutions can produce relationships that are not ideal. For the master and servant relationship, it is an unjust master. For the relationship of marriage, it is a husband that disobeys the word of God. Peter wants us, the readers of his letter, to see that in both situations, submission and respect and good works have the most transformative power. That's where transformation comes from through submission and respect and good works, not through rebellion, not through demanding change, not through somehow gaining control, but through submission, through respect, and through good works. All of that we see in a single word, likewise. And now let's consider this command. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. The first thing to see is that it is submission to your own husband, not to anyone else's husband, not to any other man. There is, this is only for your own husband. No other man can claim this type of authority. There are, no, there are other authorities that are over you that you must submit to, and so also must your husband, like the authority that comes from government, like the authorities found in church. But none of these authorities have a claim over your heart and your body as your husband does. And so let's consider this notion of, of submission. A notion that this world deems absolutely repugnant and it hates it. And it looks at submission like, like weakness, like foolishness. It wants nothing to do with it. But in the eyes of God... Submission is very precious. In submission, he sees his son and he rejoices. It is one of the highest values in the kingdom of God. So marital submission is to allow the husband to lead, to give him honor and to respect him. Peter's saying it doesn't matter if this man is godly or not. It doesn't matter if you like what he's doing or not. Rather, in spite of his potential disobedience to the word, you are still being called, wives, to set aside your rights and set aside your reactions and set aside your feelings and choose instead to honor and respect him. That's a hard thing to do. In a healthy marriage, most decisions will be made together. And harmony is going to, to dictate the general flow of life, each partner happily deferring to the other at different times. And a wise husband knows that he is, that he is to ask his wife for advice, to seek her counsel, to value her input. A very, very small example of that is I had Meg read through this sermon I wanted her input. I wanted to know what I said was well, coming too much from a man. 
and she's, she's very helpful. I very much value her input, and I respect her thoughts, and I changed a number of things because she has a wisdom I do not. But even in the healthiest of marriages, there will be times of impasse, times when both husband and wife have very strong opinions and neither of them is, are clearly in the wrong and they cannot come to an agreement over some issue. It's not a sinful thing. It's just a lack of agreement. And in these situations, and they'd better be super rare, but in these types of situations, God has given the authority to the husband to make the final decision. And the wife's role is to submit to that decision. Submission, as I have briefly described, it can feel like it's sabotaged at countless points. It can feel like it's an impossible thing to do. Like you're overcoming a whole world of problems to, to submit. Unhealthy relationships can make every decision feel dissonant rather than harmonious. And impasses can be reached simply because of stubbornness. Pride undermines every aspect of relationships. Sin clouds judgment. Only as a husband and wife pursue Christ individually and together can a marriage function as God intended. And then even then, because we are fallen, sin is still going to lead us, our marriages, into dark days. But even through the darkest of days, God is still calling the wives to submit to their husbands just as Christ submitted himself to the cross in his darkest hour. There's something to understand, something critical about submission. Submission can, be only, can only be done willingly. No wife can be compelled into submission. That's domination. And there is no place for domination in a marriage. If any man dominates a woman, whether physically or emotionally, to get out of her what he wants, that is a vile and reprehensible thing. It is abuse, and God hates abusers. And I want to read to you what God says to those who have abused their power over those under their care. God says, what will you do in the day of punishment, in the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain, for his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Woe to those men who would force submission on their wives. You have a fearsome enemy. Wives, subjecting yourself to your husband is something that you choose to do out of your freedom, out of the freedom that you have in Christ because, because of Christ you are the royal people of God. You are counted among the royal people of God. You need not grasp for privilege but you have been given unimaginable privilege in Christ Jesus, your Lord. 
You are free in slavery of God. You freely follow Jesus Christ and you freely submit yourself to others just as you freely submit yourself to Christ. As Paul says, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as to the Lord. So Paul's not saying that you should devote yourself to your husband as you devote yourself to Christ. That's idolatry. That's not what the Bible is saying. Paul is saying that your submission to your husband is ultimately submission to Christ. So listen to how R.C. Sproul speaks of this kind of holy submission. Would you have a problem submitting to Jesus if he were your husband? I've never heard a Christian woman say that they wouldn't, even though they are quick to add that their husband is not Jesus. We can submit to authority, whether husband, employer, or government, if we understand that by doing so, we are submitting to the Lord. If we refuse to submit to authority, we are refusing to submit to Christ. That is a serious matter. Now, submission in no way implies inferiority. And so we must look most profoundly to our triune God to see the beauty that that is in submission. Our God is an example of this submission, where Jesus submits himself to the Father, and the Father exercises authority over his Son, and the Spirit submits to both. All are equal in dignity, all are equal in significance, all are equal in essence. But they are distinct persons with distinct roles, harmoniously and joyfully operating within those roles. And would anyone here say that one person of the Trinity is lesser than another person of the Trinity? By no means. They are equally, supremely valuable. So wives, your husband is is not superior to you, and you are not less important. God has created both man and woman to bear his own image. And then, as Peter goes on to say in verse 7, husbands and wives are co-heirs in the grace of life. Heirs of eternity together. Heirs of the promises of God together. Both treasured by God. But in terms of hierarchy, husbands are given authority and wives are given submission. And God has woven glory into both roles. And yet there are wives who are not co-heirs in the grace of life with their husband. That's what Peter is implying in verse 1. Perhaps the wife came to faith years after their marriage. And the husband hasn't? Perhaps the husband has walked away from the faith while the wife has remained faithful? And perhaps the unbelieving husbands, perhaps those unbelieving husbands, they're harsh and unkind. But regardless of those circumstances, however that may have transpired, Peter proclaims hope. There is hope for the husband And it is you, wife, who carry the flame of that hope. What incredible responsibility and privilege you have been given. That flame of hope shines the brightest, not in your words, but in the way that you conduct yourself. Look at verses 1 and 2 again with me. 
Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see a respectful and pure conduct. So the, for, for the third time in this letter, Peter is writing about good works, here being called respectful and pure conduct. These good works that, will, that have the power of transformation to lead the unbeliever to Christ. Good works are the evidence of Christ in you. It is Jesus on display as you manifest these good works. Now that doesn't mean that words have no place. Remember what Peter said back in chapter 2, verse 9. He said that you were called out of the darkness and into his marvelous light to proclaim the excellencies of God. So you are to proclaim the excellencies of God. And Peter also writes, he writes this later in chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So words most certainly have their place. But they will be most meaningful when the beauty of good works prepares the soil for gospel words. Be respectful. Honor your husband in his presence and out of his presence. If you gather with other women, other people have a great fest about your husband, you disrespect him. And what is he going to see in that that will draw him to Christ? But if you honor your husband, if you work sincerely to build his reputation, how he will value you. And pure conduct, that's more than just your fidelity. Pure conduct is holy living, living like Christ lives, living like you are Christ. Otherwise, what's different about you? What sets you apart from everyone else? What will make him desire Jesus if you're not living with pure conduct? Show him that there's a higher calling. Show him that it is more blessed to give rather than receive. Show him that Christ came not to be served, but to serve. Show him the love of Christ as you lay down your rights for his sake. This is soul-winning, pure conduct. And it is deeply pleasing in the eyes of your Father. For respectful, pure conduct reveals a beauty far more captivating than body parts and wardrobes. Now at verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now to be clear, Peter is not forbidding your, you know, doing your hair or putting on jewelry or being fashionable. He is not forbidding these things. If that was a, a prohibition, then according to Peter's own words, you shouldn't be putting on clothing. I don't think that's what he's advocating for. 
So it's clear that Peter is promoting something rather than prohibiting something. Wives should want to be attractive to their husbands. But the things that you do to your appearance are of little significance compared to the attitudes of your heart. Proverbs 31.30 reads, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Peter tells us what is most beautiful in a wife, a gentle and quiet spirit. He even says that God sees such attributes as very precious. Do you know that Jesus says about himself that he has a gentle and quiet spirit? Would you say that Jesus was weak? A gentle and quiet spirit does not imply that a woman never speaks, that a wife never asserts herself. She is not to be a doormat. She does not have a broken spirit. In fact, a woman with a gentle and quiet spirit is far stronger than a woman who has no control over her emotions and her words. Having a gentle and quiet spirit, that means not being pushy, not constantly demanding your own rights, not being selfishly assertive, not being a nag, not overflowing with inane chatter. Those kinds of attributes will be a a plague to your husband. And the Proverbs show us this as well. Proverbs 27.1 A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Proverbs 21.9 It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Essentially, having a gentle and quiet spirit means being dignified. Having dignity. There's a nobility to it. It's to be filled with wisdom, knowing what to say and, what to, and when to say it. It's having discretion. It's being kind and respectful, even when your husband is being a jerk. It's having the strength to control your feelings and your thoughts. So instead of, instead of makeup and miniskirts, instead of a, a mind and a mouth with no restraints, A beautiful woman is clothed with strength and dignity. Again, Proverbs 31. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. That's beauty. Martin Luther the man who sparked the Reformation, was married to a woman, a woman named Katharina von Bora. And he lovingly referred to her as Katie and the morning star of Wittenberg. And it would seem that Katharina was a woman clothed in submissive strength and dignity. For after their, Luther was going through a depressed spell for a number of weeks, Katie came down to breakfast one morning dressed for a funeral. And Luther surprisingly looked at her and said, Who died? And she replied, God died. And then Martin proceeded to rebuke her for such an outrageous reply. 
And she waited until he finished his tirade. And then she responded, Well, Martin, the way you were acting, I thought he died. Katharina used her wits, wisdom, strength, dignity to call up her husband. And Martin Luther never forgot what the morning star of Wittenberg did for him. All creation, when rightly aligned, is captivated by a woman both submissive and dignified. She is the apple of her husband's eye. She is a demonstration of Christ, possessing within her an unquenchable fire of hope that would win over the unbeliever without a word. She is most precious in the sight of her heavenly Father. And she is exceedingly rare. Proverbs 31.10 An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. Sisters, are you one of these rare and precious women? There are many in the Old Testament who were. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. (laughs) Ruth and Rahab, Deborah, Mary, Sarah. Just some of the women that clothed themselves with submission and dignity and hope. Peter highlights Sarah because Sarah was co-heir of the promises given to Abraham. And it's through their lineage together that a holy nation was born. It's through their lineage together that a savior was born and a kingdom was established. And yet we only have one instance in the Bible where Sarah calls Abraham Lord. And it is not what you would think. There's this instance when God is making a promise to Abraham that that they will indeed have a son. Even though they were very old, even though they were unable to have children. And Sarah's out of sight when God is making this promise, but she overhears it. Genesis 18. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, Am I, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Did you catch where Sarah called Abraham Lord? That's it. Sarah calls Abraham Lord in passing and not even to his face. But I think that's the point. Even though Sarah scoffs at God, doubting him, even though she is struggling through the suffering of barrenness, she still speaks respectfully of her husband. Wives, to be a daughter of Sarah is to be an heir of promise. It is to receive all the promises of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It is to be united to Christ and to be adopted by the Father. To be a daughter of Sarah is to be a daughter of God. 
And Peter reveals two markers of these daughters of God, daughters of Sarah. Not frightened by anything and doing good. Doing good and not being frightened by anything. So no matter how worrying the situation, no matter how uncertain the outcome, no matter how fearful the possibilities, daughters of God vanquish their anxieties with their hope in the Lord. Daughters of God vanquish their anxieties with their hope in the Lord. And though it might be challenging, even seeming impossible at times, these daughters of God continue to do good. In the context of our passage today, that, that good is to subject themselves to their own husbands in dignity and purity and beauty. So speak well of your husband in his presence and out of it. Serve him as Christ has served you. Love him even when he is unlovable. For Christ loved you and gave himself for you when you were still his enemy. This, this is freedom that Christ has purchased for you to walk in. He calls you to it. So walk in it, wives. It is a high and noble calling, one of freedom and submission, one that is exceedingly precious in the sight of God and incalculably rare on this earth. It is a calling of imperishable beauty, a beauty that no no time can take from you. And no wave of feminism is going to capture this kind of beauty. No blurring of gender or misguided self-expression can captivate like a woman who subjects herself to her husband. This kind of submissive dignity reveals a freedom that vain cultural revolutions can never match. I hope that strikes you as remarkable. That hidden in the dignity and submissiveness of a wife resides the power to subvert the delusions of this age and win over the unbeliever. And all that, all that, without a word spoken. That's strength and dignity. That's just one side of the coin, though. Husbands, you're up next. Though God has given you, husbands, leadership in marriage, there is nothing that is easy about that. (laughs) You're a fool if that only gets you excited. Husbands are called to lay down their lives in order to love their wives, to lay down your life in order to love your wife. So that's coming next week. Would you pray with me? Father, this is indeed a high calling that you have given to wives, one that this world hates. But Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you fill the wives in this room 
with the likeness of your son, that they would willingly and lovingly submit themselves to their own husbands, even though it is incredibly challenging. And Lord, would these husbands, in return, be loving, lead well, cherish their wives, see her beauty, and may these marriages represented in this room glorify you, honoring your son who laid himself down for the church and for the church that goes herself to Christ. We praise you for your son. We have nothing without him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. As it is the first of the month, it is communion.